Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm glad I got this working. I know. That's what I was like. Oh, I hope this works out. So I'm glad that you got it all figured out. Yes, me too. Um, I'm very excited for you to be on my podcast. Thank you so much for taking your time to uh, do this for me. Oh my gosh, it's an honor. Thank you for asking me. Um, so uh, if you want, we can get to the questions so that we're not wasting your time because I know you're a busy lady. <laughs> actually, this is like it's spring break week here. So I actually don't have much to do this week, which is rare. So it was a good week to schedule this in. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Um, okay. So tell me a little bit about yourself before we get going, if you don't mind. Uh, no, absolutely. So uh, do you want, well, I should, do you want me to say, like, my name's Amanda Mercer? Like, do you want me to, like, introduce myself or what would you like me to do? <laughs> um, yeah, you can just say your name and just, uh, just a little bit about yourself. I'm going to get into questions about like why you started your journey and stuff like that, but maybe just a little bit of your interest and your hobbies. Okay. I'll just, I won't even say my name cause I'm assuming that you will say my name. So I will just, uh, I'll just tell you a little bit about what I do. Perfect. All right. Um, so I own a small fitness studio in Marietta, Ohio, and uh, where we, we focus on personal training and spin classes and boot camp and um, a lot of more like small group fitness. Um, and uh, it's called Thrive Fit. And Thrive Fit came about... Uh, because basically because of my journey and I felt that I had gone on this uh, uh, journey from depriving myself of a lot of things to kind of being stuck in survival mode to then um, realizing that there was really more to life and that I needed to learn how to thrive. Um, and so Thrive Fit, though we, we work out and, and work hard and do lots of push-ups and burpees, um, it's really more than that. It's also teaching people uh, about wellness and really that there's more to fitness than just what you do. And so that's, that's my, my day and night job. Um, in between that, I'm recently a uh, USAT certified triathlon coach. And so I coach uh, people for triathlons and endurance sports. Um, with a group called TS2 Coaching, but then I also compete in triathlons on my own time. So currently, that's like my my hobby slash. I still consider it work sometimes, but I love it, so it's not really work. Um, and so I'm currently training for another Ironman uh, race, which is a 2.4 mile swim, a 112 mile bike, and then a 26.2 mile run after all of that. And wow. um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a, uh, but I love it. And uh, for real in my spare time right now, like, cause that's, that's a hobby, but it's, it's a little more than a hobby. I feel like um, 
my husband and I recently bought a house. So we're, we're fixing uh, and making that our own and fixing it up. Um, and then I love to cook. I absolutely love to cook and bake. And so that's kind of, oh. my, I know that's, that's the unexpected part. Um, that's my fun fact. And that's like my spare time. And because we bought this new house, like I now have a dishwasher and like a real kitchen. And so I have refound my love for cooking and baking. Bonus. I know, I know. I love it because, uh, that, yeah, I, I just didn't have a lot of space or, uh, good quality things in, in the other places we used to live. So, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much me right now. Perfect. Um, to go back to um, your your journey, you were saying you were a bit into uh, survival mode. So what kind of put you in that mode? You were kind of just living just day to day, just kind of letting your your car do its own thing, your life do its own thing. What, what, what made you feel that you were in survival mode? Yeah, so... Um, before, before I can explain survival mode, I really have to take you back to the, the deprived stage of my life. And really, um, when I was in college, uh, my freshman year of college, I developed, um, an eating disorder, disordered eating, whatever you want to call it. And I really uh, had a really unhealthy relationship with food, um, and was in, in my case, it became an obsession with counting calories and the control over that. I mean, I was counting halves of peanuts and could, oh wow, yeah, and could like tell you exactly how many calories I needed to eat in order to um, make it to like through the next workout or through whatever I was doing. Like I had everything. It became a, a, an obsession and it was super unhealthy. Um, and it led to um, quite a few illnesses. I actually got uh, contracted MRSA, and I think it was because my body was so run down. So if you don't know what that is, it's essentially like antibiotic-resistant staph, and people actually die from it often. It's pretty dangerous. Um, thankfully, oh, yeah. that was not my case, but um, I was really, really sick. My body had kind of stopped producing progesterone um, on its own. And so I was a, uh, in danger of having osteoporosis at like age 19. Um, my hormones were not functioning properly. It was just, it was really like, I didn't realize how sick I was until, um, till, till it kind of all, till I started feeling better. And then I realized how bad I felt. So thankfully, um, kind of got out of that. I started playing water polo. Um, and that really kind of forced me out of that mentality because you had to eat to have the energy. And I was in a group of, uh, really great women who were focused on strength versus just being skinny. And so I adopted this new strength mentality, but I really, um, I, I really didn't have a lot of self-love if I'm going to call it what it was, uh, that my self-love was not there. And so that, the disordered eating, I wouldn't have called it an eating disorder at that point, but disordered eating was still a part of my life. And so I really went crazy with the extremely low fat, um, protein, and then kind of like would hardly eat and then would eat a lot. And so it was this like, but then I would eat really well sometimes. And it was just like all over the place. Um, and I was always constantly like beating myself up for eating. Um, and which, so that's kind of like my deprived, 
state of like it was always like you didn't do enough you didn't eat correctly you should have done this like I never was focusing on anything super positive um or or self-loving like when I think of how I talk to clients now I would never have talked to anybody how I talk to myself in my head um and because of all of that like a I don't know four-year five-year time span of just this kind of state of like a constant battle in my mind over this um about three years ago now I developed a pretty serious thyroid condition um where I actually had a nodule uh which is a lump growing on your thyroid and found it one day and was totally in shock. And um, I was actually lifting and noticed a lump in my throat. And I was like, that's weird. And I kind of knew something was wrong. Um, And like, I didn't feel right, but I was just kind of ignoring it. Um, I was sleeping like four hours a night, working out all the time, just like, like crazy high intensity, like go, go, go lifestyle. Um, all the time and really was never resting. So again, still like depriving myself of something great, like rest and then discovered this lump in my throat. And it kind of, it was one of those things that really all of a sudden shook my entire world. Like, wow, like this could have been, thankfully it wasn't cancer, but it could have just as easily have been cancer. It could have been even more serious than it was. Um, and it altered my lifestyle. I could not remember anything. I mean, my, my brain function was like, it was like, I was constantly asleep. I would lock my keys in my car. I'd walk into a room and forget things, uh, which is so uncharacteristic of me. Um, and I was tired all the time. I was not losing weight, but I wasn't hungry. Like it was just this, it was really, really, really difficult. Um, and in addition to that, I was lost uh, two thirds of my airway because the nodule grew to be so big. So oh, teaching wow. classes was difficult because A, I was exhausted and B, I couldn't turn my head to one side. If I did, um, I couldn't breathe. So I had to be very like creative with how I taught classes. Um, and it was during that time, about two months before I had surgery uh, that I started looking into like the, the why behind all of this and like what could have possibly caused this and did a lot of research. Um, and I was like, I really think it was because I was depriving myself of nutrients, of healthy fats, of sleep, of rest, of play, um, and so it really started this, this journey for me of like self-discovery and self-love and learning how to fuel and nourish my body versus like, and love my body for what it can do versus be like, uh, like, Oh, you can't do this. You can't do that. So really that's where, um, thrive came from because I was like, life is not meant to be sitting in misery all the time. And I was pretty miserable. Um, and life is also, I don't think meant to be in survival mode that happens from time to time. And that's where resilience comes into play. But man, I was like, we're supposed to be like loving life and living life and thriving. And what have I been doing? What have I been doing for 20, what was it? (laughs) Three years. Like I've literally, um, I started eating like 
uh, I did. So not that I'm advocating one diet particularly, but before surgery, I really felt like I needed to at least try a ketogenic diet. And so like I ate butter for the first time in like 21 years. And I was like, Oh my gosh, what have I been missing out on? Like this, is, (laughs) this is phenomenal. Um, and I don't, I don't still use that particular way of eating, but it really gave me this freedom from food that I had not had before. And this like clarity of mind that I could eat fat and not be fat. And that was like, that was mind blowing to me. And I went to school for all this. Like I know all the basics, but it was a mental block for me, um, on what, what I could actually eat or not eat. And like, I could tell you all the science that like, I should have been eating this way, this way, and this way, but I could not grasp that until I did this and kind of started this healing process, um, both very physically when I had surgery. Um, and then also like mentally and emotionally and spiritually and all of this stuff to really, um, it like it really learn like thriving and enjoying life. And I know, um, I've done a lot of work with, uh, Stephanie Weikert about that as well. Um, Stephanie is amazing. Um, and just learning, like actually calling it for what it was like, that I didn't believe that I was worthy to love myself or be loved. Um, and that's really where my problem started. And so that's, I mean, and your journey is never over with, like, this is still the journey I'm on. Um, and it's, it's come a long way and it's cool to watch like how your journey changes and where it takes you. Um, but yeah, like that's, but thrive fit, like that's, that's me. Like that is it's yes, it's my studio and, and my company, but that's also like, that's where it came from because, um, there was so much more, like I was really good at the physical side of exercise, but, um, the other stuff, Ooh, I needed, I needed to be called out on that. And so that is, that's really kind of the mission behind thrive fit is that like, yeah, we do exercise together, but on the side and like, even if you're leaving class, like we do a whole lot more of that to help you grow and help you thrive. Yeah. It's so, it's so important that people don't um, just take in the physical aspect of um, health because it's, it really is all around your, your emotional state, your, your, like your social state, everything. Yeah. Um, you were talking about um, calorie count. Now, I know for certain reasons, it is very important to kind of make sure you know somewhat of aware of how much calories you're putting in your body. But can you give the people that are listening maybe the, the best advice so that maybe somebody that is maybe struggling with that perfectionist and of having certain amount of calories every day and not you know, allowing themselves to slip up or hating themselves for maybe eating that extra snack or uh, whatever it may be. Um, What can you tell someone that might be in that struggle where they have to be perfectionist? Um, Yeah, so that's, that's like a really, it's actually a really tough question. But um, this is my, this is what's kind of helped me realize, like, Yes, in theory, I think that like calories in calories out, like, yes, you can lose weight just by doing that. Um, 
But I think I'm a firm believer that like the body will follow what the mind tells it. And if you're constantly hating yourself for being like, oh, I'm so fat, like your body's going to stay in that state. And so um, when I changed my mentality from I have to eat this amount of this and this amount of this and be super regimented and not enjoy life. And um, when I changed my mentality from that to like, I like, I enjoy cooking and I enjoy food and I enjoy fueling my body. And when I changed my mentality to fueling, because I love being able to go for a two or three hour run, like I love that, but that requires fuel. And if you don't have that yes. fuel, um, you're, you're not going to do well. You're not going to do that thing that you love well. So the same thing, like, yeah, it doesn't have to be a two to three um, hour run, but like, say you're a mom, like, do you love being a mom? Like if you love being a mom and that's your thing and you want to have energy to be a mom, you need fuel to have that energy or to, to do, to be the mom, like to be the mom you want to be. So you still need fuel for that. And vice versa. If you're a CEO of a company, like if that's what you really love, like you want to fuel that that's your thing. So you need to like, it's more of that, like, um, eat to live versus living to eat. But I think of it as like fuel, like, okay, if I want to do well on my next workout, or my next thing, whatever that happens to be, or when I come home at night, like if I don't want to be a grump, uh, for (laughs) because then I'm no fun to be around, like, I need to fuel this way in order to do that. And so that was like my first step was shifting my mentality. Um, I really, really don't count calories anymore. And I used to do it occasionally to get back on track or to, to see where I was at. Um, and I, I bet you it's been two years since I've even opened up a calorie calculator. Um, because what I learned was being mindful and being aware of what my body is telling me. So if I have a series of bad workouts in a row, I know it's probably food related and I need to go back and look at what I'm eating or what I should be eating to feel better. If I come home and I'm crabby three nights in a row, I need to start thinking about, do I need a snack in the middle of the day? Is that why I'm coming home super angry or super frustrated? Um, If I am sitting there at night and I'm about to reach for a bag of something or an apple or whatever it happens to be, am I eating because I'm bored or am I genuinely hungry? Because there are nights I'm not home till late and I may eat dinner at nine o'clock at night. Um, And I don't have a problem with that as long as it's actually from hunger and the need to fuel versus just being bored and eating extra. So I really like I tried to really start to tell my clients like there's no magical formula for calories in a day because the reality is our demands of every day are different and it would it would exhaust you to figure out everything to an exact science and I don't think you can with the watches or the apps or this or that to figure out like exactly the fine tuned amount of calories you need. So I tell people to really like start to listen to your body. Like your body will tell you so much about what it needs, like what it wants, when it needs food, when it needs water, if we would just stop and listen. But a lot of times we like push that out of the way or deny ourselves like, Oh, my stomach, my stomach is growling, but 
I'm not hungry right now. Like, well, your stomach doesn't usually oh, yeah. growl unless you are hungry. So like, then it might be time for a little snack. Um, and so I think that really the, the mindfulness, and I know that's like a, a super trendy word right now, but I think really the mindfulness of, of eating and thinking about it and listening to your body really helps with that perfectionist attitude, as well as thinking of food as being fueling. And so that's a good thing. Like fuel is a good thing. Like when you put fuel yes. in your car, you need that to go. Like, so if yeah. your body doesn't have fuel, it can't go. And so when we stop thinking of like, oh, food is so bad. Like, oh, I have to eat today. Rats. Like, and you stop thinking of it like that way and start thinking of it as like, yes, like, okay, I'm fueling because man, I'm going to go crush my run, my day with my busy day with my kids, my super important meeting, whatever it happens to be. I'm going to go crush that the next day or the next few hours because I fueled properly. Um, that makes a big difference in starting to stomp out that perfectionism and, and looking at food as a negative thing versus looking at it as something that it's, it's actually adding value to your life. And all around, not just your body, just like you said, you, you, uh, what you put in your body definitely changes your moods and mm -hmm. how you perform at things. So I liked how you, you brought that up where you're, you're self-aware and you've noticed I've, uh, I've come home grumpy to my husband three nights in a row. What, what's happening? Um, I think that's very important. That's something that I always try to get my clients to be more self-aware. I don't have any nutritional background. I, in mine's more or less just kind of what I've learned over the years. And, um, I just try and tell my clients, say on the outside of the grocery store, the further you get into the aisles, the more uh, shelf life it has. And uh, the longer the shelf life, the more it's probably going to be harder for your body to digest. Um, but other than that, I try and tell my clients to kind of eat when they're hungry, only eat till you're satisfied, don't overstuff, and wait a couple of minutes, wait 15 to 20 minutes. If you're still hungry after that time, then go back and have your second. But until then, just kind of let your body digest because we overeat because we eat too fast, I find. And then 20 minutes later down the road, we're having to undo that top button because we have to breathe. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Those are all great things um, and great guidances that work for really well. Just in, And it all goes back to, again, like being mindful. Um, I think a lot of times we kind of do have a knowledge, like, like everybody kind of knows if they were to come down to it, that like vegetables and fruits are probably a healthier choice than a Snickers bar. Like, yes. that's like, that's not like, that's not that hard. I feel like if you generally ask people, which is healthier, they would pick fruits and vegetables. Um, but it's really like, like allowing like planning so that you're not going to fail um with that choice but also just like being aware and knowing it life is full of balance like our lives are if it comes down to not eating and having like the granola bar we'll eat the granola bar like I tell people that all the time I'm like you know don't not eat just because like oh it's not on the list of fruits and vegetables like it like yeah, sometimes, yeah, like life is messy and difficult and tiring. Like sometimes you just got to eat. 
like and yeah and whatever's there um but that also well, doesn't mean well, because when you well because when you when your body's giving you those signals that it's hungry and it, it's needing that fuel and you deny it our body does a miraculous thing and it then starts to go in survival mode and it starts to want to hold on to things that we want it to let go because it's not sure when we're going to then fuel it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's correct, right? Yeah, it's uh, yeah, absolutely. Like it it's an amazing our bodies are are smart but they yet can't like but not, it's not an infallible. They can, they're only as good as what the signals we're giving our bodies. And so, yeah, yeah it's exactly, I mean, uh, starvation is not, is not a good thing either. That's not where our bodies want to be. It puts us in that danger zone. And so then the body starts to try and respond and put that cushion up because it's like, well, shoot, the, if, if this is a famine, like, and we're not going to eat for the next week and a half, I got to slow everything down. Like, yep. <laughs> I got to stop. And so we actually do more harm than good when we're under eating or starving ourselves. Um, and then, and then when it does get food, I think our bodies tend to hold on to things more as opposed to process them because it's so used to going from, uh, eat, not eat, eat, not eat, eat for like such long eat. periods of time. Um, so yeah. And another thing, like I learned, like, I mean, it's okay. Like, sometimes I'll just take like a little baby orange and eat that as a snack. And that's an okay snack. Like it doesn't have to be something massive. Um, I think a lot of times people, even after a workout, like people are like, Oh, I need to eat right now. And I'm like, it doesn't necessarily have to be something huge and super big. Um, we burn a lot fewer calories than I think we think we do. And so like your body will tell you if you're not eating like enough after workouts but refueling after doesn't have to be like you have an extra it doesn't have to (laughs) it doesn't have to be an extra meal like refueling after a workout might be something relatively small and like maybe even just a couple hundred calories it doesn't have to be a complete another meal throughout your day um so I think that's another misconception too like and I don't always think that like smart technology has done a great job with people like realizing how few calories and steps they're actually getting. Um, I think technology is getting better, but I think sometimes people have a false sense of calorie burn throughout a day as well because of these maybe inflated numbers from some of the, the more common uh, smart technology on the market. It's like, well, if I burnt this much, I can eat this much. And uh, I think that's a dangerous path to get down to. I think that goes back to that calorie counting. And so I really tell people, I'm like, look, just pay attention to what your body's telling you. And if you happen to overeat a little bit more the day before, chances are good you're not going to be as hungry the next day. So then just eat a little bit less. Like, and that's okay. Like, still eat. But it's it's really what you do over the course of weeks and months and years versus just one day. Um, one day. yeah, because if you look actually on a calendar year, um, and I did this one time for my clients because every year at Thanksgiving, uh, I hear it all the time. Oh, Thanksgiving just kills me every year. It's the reason I'm overweight. And I hate that because it's just an excuse. Um, what you do on one day has nothing to do with your 10 to 15 pounds of extra weight that you're carrying around. And so what I tell people, I'm like, listen, I counted up 
all the holidays on the calendar plus like five birthdays, right? Because people typically have pretty five pretty good friends who or celebrations that are not holidays. And so if yeah. you count up all the holidays and like five birthdays on a calendar year and you figure it out, that is approximately 20% of a year. So if you only ate bad on holidays, in theory, by the 80-20 rule, 80% healthy, 20% cheat or whatever, uh, you should be yep. fine. Like, because if it was only those holidays you were eating poorly uh, or, or having whatever and not caring, you would in theory be fine if you were eating really healthy the other 80% of the time and the other days of the year. But that's not typically what happens. But we start to blame holidays and kind of make excuses. And then holidays turn into hollow weeks, which turns into hollow months, which turns into a 30 year party. And then you wonder why you're you're having trouble 10, 15, 20, 30 years later. And it's like, well, because your entire life has been a party and a holiday instead yes. of living in balance and moderation. Yes. So it's kind of just being aware of your body, giving it what it needs when it's asking. Yeah. Is that Yeah, absolutely. Um, knowledge knowledge is power and I think one of the best things that and one of the happiest moments I have is when clients come back to me and they're like, man, I realized I wasn't hungry. I was sad or I was angry or I was bored. And that's why I was reaching for this. And I'm like, that's what I want you to learn because that you can now take and do something with. If I just tell you like, you can only have X number of calories a day, or you can only do this, or you should only eat this, this, and this. That teaches you nothing. Like it gives you a set of rules. Yeah. And we all know as soon as you have a set of rules, all you want to do is break the rules. So yeah. So like, I was like, so let's start to look at like the psychology behind this. Like when you're telling me that you're struggling with eating at this time, or that you're struggling with having meals made, when can you make meals? And what can you do to take away that like if you're always bored at night let's pick up a hobby like knitting or something you can do with your hands so you can't eat and knit at the same time like and they're like oh I was like see you're like you gotta you can't just say my hobby's watching tv because you can still eat while you're watching tv so like find something that gets rid of that uh the ability for you to use your hands Yes, the t- I I find the TV is one of the biggest things that gets everybody. I don't know why, but we as humans we associate the TV with eating food. Yes. Um, anybody, I anybody I go to any house that I go to before the first commercial, someone's asking, "Yeah, anybody want something to eat or anybody thirsty?" And I always try and tell my my clients that. When you get those cravings or if you know that you are somebody that eats while watching TV, find something to put in your hands, find a fiddle toy or something, and then move during the commercials. I tell them, do jumping jacks the commercials, do crunches, kind of try and get yourself up and moving, getting your mind distracted from that, that association of when I watch TV, I put food in my mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really that's a really good tip. Um, so now um, we're going to step away from just the calorie stuff. You were talking um, a little bit 
about the water polo. So have you always been active? And like the water polo kind of is what got you um, moving more into the journey of fitness? Or um, I know the water polo was a huge thing that kind of helped bringing you out of that survival mode and into that dive fit. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Um, yeah. So I have been active uh, and competitive my entire life. Uh, I grew up in a family that loved sports. We would play tag in the front yard. We would chase each other around. Uh, there was always a competition going on. We played basketball in the front yard. I played uh, basketball and volleyball growing up uh, my entire life. And so um, sports and being an athlete was not necessarily new to me. Um, but water polo was a whole another level. I had actually never played water polo till I went to college. Um, and it was this kind of funny situation where I ended up like they needed another player and they heard that I was athletic. And so like, Hey, come play on the team. And I was like, okay, like I've never done this before. I can't really swim, but that sounds like a great thing. Um, and I'll tell you, like, I'm not really sure to this day why I said yes, because I was such a perfectionist at that time and afraid of failure. Um, I, I don't know. It was so uncharacteristic of me, but I will tell you this. I so badly missed being a part of something, being a part of a team and that competitive part of my life that um, I think that's really what, what pushed me over the hump of you have absolutely no idea what you're doing and you are going to not be good at this at all to, yeah, I'll try this out. And so, um, and my coach uh, was incredible as well. And he just kind of looked at me and said, if you give me a hundred percent, I'll give you a hundred percent. And I was like, okay, that sounds like a good plan. And I want to be part of a team. Um, so water polo though was really, I mean, it was, I think to this day, it still might have been the most exhausting thing I ever did uh, in, like, ever in my entire life. And that's, that's saying something. Um, and yeah. I just remember, like, I called my mom after the first practice. He's <laughs> like, mom, I just ate lunch or dinner after practice. I walked back to my dorm room and I was hungry again. Like, I am so hungry. I worked so hard. And I just, it was this whole new level of of athleticism. I mean, I went from playing high school sports to kind of like a few club sports in college to being a varsity college water polo player and water polo doesn't stop. It's constant. Like you can't touch the floor in water polo. So you don't just stop at a timeout. You just go, 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 go. And, um, which was a whole new thing for me. And I loved it. I mean, I had, I am so thankful to this day for my coach and my teammates who just, a taught me how to play because that in and of itself was a challenge. Um, but also just some of the personalities, like I think because we spent so much time together and I mean, you're in, I don't know if you've ever seen water polo bathing suits before, but they are not flattering and they are very, um, you're just kind of out there. Like they are not flattering and you, you get in these locker rooms and you have these tiny suits on that are super tight so that people can't pull you under the water and it's just not flattering under fluorescent lights. And we constantly were pulling ourselves out of the pit of like self-loathing and self-hatred and being like, stop it. You know, you're strong. You know, you're going to go kick some serious rear end out there today. Like 
don't look at the, this lighting is terrible. Stop looking at your imperfections and focus on your strength. And, um, that was really the first time in my life I was around people and women who were focused on strength and like performance versus, uh, like just outward appearance how you looked and like a certain number on the scale so like we didn't care how much you weighed like it didn't matter like you were I mean you were swimming for two hours every day at practice and we lifted three times a week and we'd go play six or seven games in two days like we play weekend tournaments you don't play like basketball or or soccer where it's kind of like you go play a game three nights a week like we would go for a weekend and go play six or seven games in two days. And that, I mean, that's like, that's some serious a learning how to fuel in between games and be like soreness and muscle fatigue to the nth degree. Um, And so from that, like it started to kind of, I think that was the start of the change of a having people I could be open and vulnerable with and trust and talk about some of those issues as opposed to keeping them inside and feeling like, oh, like I need everybody to see perfect Amanda who has it all together versus the fact that like, no, I'm really struggling with this. Um, And then B, it was also a change in like uh, my mindset of like eating for fuel. Like I had to fuel my body or I could not physically do well. And that was letting my team down. So it kind of gave me a purpose to fuel that was outside of myself Um, which is also that community aspect was huge and crucial in starting that journey. Um, and I think it was like the very little spark of the big journey that came later on. Yeah. Uh, it's so, it's so important to surround yourself with people that support you and what you're doing. And I really like that you use the word, uh, being vulnerable with people because we as humans do not tend to do that nearly as often as we should. We always are trying to put our best selves first. And sometimes that's not what we need to do. We need to just let people see that mess of us and allow them in because allowing one person or a team in really then gets to kind of help put those pieces back together a lot stronger with a lot more, a lot more support glue, I will call it. Your, your pieces are not just put together because you, you want them to, they're, they're there because your team's putting them together and the support's like the glue, which is, which is amazing. Yeah, no, absolutely. It definitely, um, and I think it also, it helps that, you know, like, that they're like nobody has a perfect life um because I think we live in this like bubble sometimes of that like oh everybody else like nobody struggles with this it's only me and so when I was able to realize that like uh I think every woman on the face of the planet struggles with this and probably most men do too and they're just really unwilling to talk about it um I was like oh like this isn't just an Amanda thing like everybody's this is is like a whole thing like this is just like everybody deals with this like this isn't yeah yeah, this isn't just my problem or hang up like everybody I don't I don't know of a woman who hasn't gone through this at some point in time in their life 
yeah, when we just step back and, and realize that we're, we're not all that we put ourselves out on social media, um, I think social media is an excellent thing and, and it's doing wonders for us, but I also um, believe that it can do some harm and I think that's with everything really in life. Um, but I find the harm that it brings is we we tend to only want to show off those perfectionist days that we have. Oh, my hair's, my hair's on point today, or I did this workout excellent. Can you record me? And we only want to show the world our best self or to show the part of our life that at the moment we might think be going the best. And I find that throws off people where if we were to just, you know, take that video of us doing those squats and one of us, you know, dropping the weights or, you know, waking up and doing a video with your hair bedhead. I think that will allow people to connect more and understand that we are all in it together. We all do and experience the, the same things, maybe not the same time or at the, the same degree, but we all, we all experience life and, diversity hits us all and I I think that yeah I think that what we do is we we try and portray our our life as perfect which then gives other people um the feeling that they don't need they can't voice their unperfectionist part of their life or their hurt or their their struggles because they're going well no I don't see anybody else's so why why do I open up yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with that. Um, so with, wa- with, with water polo, you kind of finished with that. And um, what kind of made you think of opening uh, your own business, Thrive Fit? Um, well, I uh, moved to a, a Ohio um, after college. Actually, I was, I was home for a year in New York, and then I moved a year later, um, got married and moved. And I worked um, for a few different places around uh, around town and worked at a YMCA here. Um, and just really, that's actually when I met uh, Ken, Ken, Sergeant Ken, um, and felt like I needed to do more with my life and make a bigger impact in our community. Um, and so I uh, went off on my own and found a wonderful place in town called ZK Fitness um, and started training out of there and teaching classes, which really allowed me to grow my studio um, or grow my my uh, connections with people around town. And then when that studio was closing down, um, it was kind of, I thought it was time for me to take the next step and step up and be um, a little bit of, of a a difference in the fitness community and so that's when I opened up my own studio nice um now what struggles kind of have you had now I I opened up my own little studio a couple years ago now I closed it um because I was planning on moving out west and then plans fell through um what struggles have you've had you've had to a get thrive fit going, um, keep it maintained and keep it growing. And how did you overcome them? 
well, if you had three more hours, I would give you the full story. Um, But let me just give you short ones. Um, It for me, some of it was learning to balance work and life. Um, We live in a pretty small community. So everybody kind of hears about you and this, that and the other. Um, But things personally that I have struggled with, um, the business side of things is not my favorite. I love to teach. And I love that. And I found I had to kind of set some boundaries for business and also like hire some people to do things for me because I, the business side sucks the life out of me and I know it's a necessary evil, but I really enjoy the teaching, the training, the programming, making other trainers better. Um, and the business side of it, I could leave and it'd be okay. Um, so that's a struggle for me constantly is how to balance that and how to, um, reframe the business side of things in my head so that it doesn't seem like such a burden. Um, another struggle, like just recently, we had a crazy flooding in our area and I was maybe going to have to move out everything in the gym. Like we were under a risk of flooding. And so that's like one of those struggles you don't think you're going to do, uh, or that is going to happen. Um, when I first opened up, I was in my new space for a week and we were told we were too noisy and I was scrambling to find a new place to open up to when we moved in there, it took longer than expected to move in. So we were in a holding pattern. Um, and so it's just like little things, like the things you don't expect that pop up, um, with owning a business and competition moves in the area, competition moves back out of the area, summer comes and people are on vacation, winter comes and the gym is full. Um, it's really, I think doing a lot of the work on myself and how I respond to things and how I, uh, now don't necessarily internalize things and take a, um, take everything so much to heart. Like I can kind of step back from the business and realize it doesn't change my value as a human being. Um, that's been really huge for me. And so I've done a lot of work with Brene Brown and some of her books and, and failing and overcoming failures to be able to be brave enough to open my own place. Um, but it's really, I find, um, and I really learned this a lot from Ken, like when you can add value to somebody else's life and when they see that you care, um, and that you have a plan for them and you genuinely want them to succeed, that's what makes the difference. And, um, the business side of things is always going to be a struggle for me because it's not my strong suit. But I think when you reframe that and you can reframe it into like, it's about them and their experience and changing lives and then vice versa, changing kids' lives and, and other people's lives who they're in contact with. That's what really makes a difference. That's awesome. Um, so spe- speaking of Sergeant Ken, he is both of our mentors. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I met Sergeant Ken uh, during a volunteer shift. Um, uh, in CanFit Pro in Toronto, mm-hmm. the yearly that they do. Um, I met him. I was doing one of the jump start classes. Yes. And uh, one of the instructors, I won one of the shirts and he, I put it on. And 
he asked me what I was doing next. And I told him, oh, I'm, I'm heading off to boot camp with the boys. And this was a couple of years ago. This is when he was with uh, Mark Lieber and all of them. Yes. Uh-huh. And he started laughing and he said, go find Sergeant Ken and tell him that you're ready for duty and you're in gear. And I was like, okay. He's like, make sure you're wearing that shirt. So I was like, okay. I have no idea who Sergeant Ken is at this point. I just... I've heard a lot about him and his classes were excellent. So I was like, all right, I'm going to it. Well, get into the boot camp class. I narrow in on the man that's wearing those army greens. (laughs) And I walk up to him and I tell him that, well, let me tell you, that next hour, anytime Sergeant Ken saw me, he put my butt into second gear. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you're in gear, are you? Let's see. And it was excellent. And I left that class and I was, I was over the moon. I, I loved it. And the next day I was in the middle of my shift and Sergeant Ken stopped me and told me that he really enjoyed me being in his class. He said that I was like a spark plug and that's where I've got, that's where I got my name from. Um, and he, I, I told him my story, and ever since then, Sergeant Ken has taken me under his wing. I'm now a level two uh, start fitness instructor through him. Um, tell me a little bit about your story with Sergeant Ken. How did you meet him? I know you said that he was somewhat of the start for your business. Um, yeah, he was kind of the uh, the I think the the trigger that got me thinking that maybe I needed to do more with fitness than just uh what I was doing and so I met Ken at Idea World not World Idea PTI East uh which is in Virginia um in let's see 2000 and I got married in 2013 so 2014 that next February 2014 and uh there's this huge snowstorm coming in and I was almost didn't stay for his session and um I was like I I'm gonna stay I think I can still get out of the snow on time um and so I'm going to stay for this class. And I loved it. It was with Sandbells. Um, it was when he was doing the Sandbell Blast boot camp uh, for hyperware. And so we did this class. I bought a couple of Sandbells. I talked with him. Um, he like encouraged me, sent me on my way, told me to reach out to him if I ever needed anything. And I was kind of like, wow, like that was a really cool experience. Great. Um, and then I did, I ended up doing some volunteer work with the national guard. Um, and he helped me with that and kind of, uh, it took the time to call me and I, that always stuck with me. It was like, he took the time to help somebody who he had no idea who I was. And I was really like, I mean, I was no different than anybody else in that class. So it really made an impression on me because he added value to my life. Um, and then it was probably a year maybe even a year and a half later, um, I went to the Liebert Fitness uh, Master Trainer Summit and Ken was there. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is too funny. Like, oh, I remember you. How are you doing? Like, you're awesome. This, uh, that, and the other. And so at the end of this conference, um, he helped, he asked me to help him with his last session there. And I was like, yeah, sure. That'd be great. And so I helped him and he said, and I, I wanted to know if you're going to idea East again next weekend. And I was like, 
well, I wasn't planning on it, but I can be there, I guess, if you like. And he's like, well, I was going to ask you to be my assistant on stage if you want to be. And I was like, uh, yes. Is that a yes. question? <laughs> like, is that seriously a question? So I like scrambled, got home, was like, I need to figure out everything. Got in the car, drove back to PTI East um, and helped Ken and uh, he introduced me to people in network. And that was when he, uh, sat down with me. and was like, I basically, I want to mentor you if you want that. And I was like, again, is that even a question? Like, question. <laughs> yes, that would be fantastic. Um, and so from there, it was kind of, uh, the start of a bunch of things working together. And so we, um, we worked together at Idea World when he won uh, Fitness Instructor of the Year. Uh, I went to help him there. And then um, when else, let's see, became a level three master instructor for him um, and held my own little uh, Get Fit Ohio Wellness Weekend. And um, I presented with him and on my own at CanFit Pro last year. And then this year, um, I'm now, he's the head of education, director of education for Water Rower. And I am on his master instructor team, one of their first group of master instructors. And I'll be presenting with him at Idea World this year. And, uh, oh, and I got to go to China with him. How did I forget China? Um, we, I spent 18 days in China with Ken and his wife and family um, presenting and, and teaching fitness. And it was incredible. Um, so the journey has just been, I have learned so much through watching him and watching he and Stephanie um, and watching him handle situations with grace and ease and elegance um, and watching them work together as a team. That's really just been inspiring uh, and really helped me. And they've given, given me so many opportunities, um, that I am, I am forever grateful to both of them and to have such a wonderful and animated, uh, mentor. And I know that you feel the same way as well. Certainly. Um, so for my listeners, um, Sergeant Ken, he works for the national national guard and he is in the military in the States. Um, he, he impacts absolutely everybody that he comes in contact with. Like Amanda said, she was no different than anybody else in the room. And I'm sure even though he took the time to, um, talk with Amanda afterwards, he probably made every single person in that room feel that way as well. He certainly does that with me. He, he brings... Um, so much positivity and inspiration to everyone. He's so knowledgeable and his, his passion and love for helping people um, is, is remarkable and words really can't describe it. He really does take the time to help anybody that is in his in, in his eye view, not in his eye view. Like if you need him and you message him, as soon as he can, he's right there. Um, he's actually going to be on my podcast. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear that. And then we'll have a little bit more on him. 
Um, so talk about talk about your presentation because last year I unfortunately I didn't get to come see you do your first presentation at Canfit because I had to go because I was in a wedding. Um, how was it? Like, how were the nerves? Um, so I will I will tell you this. I was super nervous but not as nervous. We have this fundraiser in our town called dancing with the doctors. And I was not as nervous as that. Cause I figured if I could dance, okay. if I could dance on stage, I don't dance. If I could dance on stage for two minutes, I could probably speak to people about something that I loved um, for 90 minutes. Like that's no big deal to talk for 60 to 90 minutes. So it was, um, it was an incredible experience. I had a smaller group. Uh, we talked about strategies for longevity and endurance athletes. Um, and I made some great connections with the audience. I learned a lot from listening to Ken speak and also from taking some of his speaking classes, which was really, really helped me. Um, and the best advice that some pe other people have given me was to just take every opportunity you can to speak. And because every time you do it, it gets better and better and better. And it, you become more and more comfortable with it uh, and, and speaking in front of people or, or putting your story and your words together. And so that has been super helpful. But the staff of Canfret Pro was awesome to work with. Um, Canadians are awesome. Uh, and so I... Uh, it was just, it was a really great, it was a really great first experience um, to go and have this. It was more of a lecture. It wasn't necessarily a class. It was a lecture and workshop combined. And it was, it was really great. It was great to have some familiar faces there supporting me, but then also have new faces and people who uh, came up to me after and said they couldn't believe that that was my first solo presentation. And that was very, like, that was very humbling and flattering to me at the same time. Um, because I know it's just because of the people that I've been surrounded with that have empowered me to have those skills. Awesome. Um, that's excellent. Now, you are a level three. Um, now, I know that level three is an invite only from the Sergeant Ken. How does it feel to be a level three instructor with him? It is very few that actually get to go that far. And it's not because he doesn't want um, a bunch of level threes. He just makes sure that he takes his time with his level threes to mentor them and give them the best that they can. What, what, what is the best thing that you have taken from him? Because I, I helped you guys out this year uh, doing a little bit of the setup for one of his classes. And within just that small 15 minute span of working with you guys to set up the class my mind was already blown with how he instructs his setups how he runs his classes how he prepares all of that kind of stuff so what do, what are the best things that you have taken away from him as a level three um Man, I, the best thing that I can tell you, I mean, there's, there's so many things. The best thing I can tell you is that he took the time to sit down with me and figure out like what I wanted to do and where I want to go with my fitness career and then kind of tailor his mentorship to me, which means a lot. So it's not just necessarily like for me, like, yes, I know the setup of boot camp and I know how to run a class and I know how to, uh, I know the back of the program 
in and out and different things you can substitute in and all the various programs. Like that's a huge part of what it is. Um, but it was more than that. Like for me, I want to present and I want to travel and I want to do those things. And so he showed me the ins and outs of that and like the behind the scenes stuff that people don't like, it's kind of the side of fitness that like nobody really wants to talk about in fitness presenting, but that's the side that I get to see. And that's really helpful to me because those are the things that like you need to know in order to be a successful presenter, but yeah, yeah, nobody really talks about it. Like, that's not what you see when you attend a fitness conference. Um, so that to me was probably some of the most valuable, um, information from everything from like having backups to travel lists, to having a backup plan, to being flexible, to how you can adjust something on the fly, to making travel plans, to signing contracts, to communicating effectively, to, pre-conference work to post-conference work to hooking people in to speaking the day of to when to get there to have a timeline to have all your equipment to be creative with a space like it's things like that that you don't necessarily think of that goes into all these presentations that that's probably been really really useful to me I'm, I'm certainly excited. I have luckily, um, I have been invited to become a level three instructor. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very excited too. I just know Sergeant Ken has been really busy and he hasn't been able to, um, set a exact date for the level three instructor course, but I'm super, super excited to take it all in and learn all that you just kind of brought to me. Um, besides just coaching for Ken and doing your thigh fit, you are a triathlete, you do triathlons, and you coach. Um, tell me a little bit about your, your training specifically when it comes to doing triathlons. What does it take? What, what are, what's a day of training look like? Uh, well, thankfully you caught me on a rest day, like a rest week, so Today, I uh, just had a 30-minute run, so that's pretty nice. Um, but in a typical week, I'm probably training on top of everything else I do. I'm probably training, I would say, between 15 to 20 hours a week. So right now, I'm still not, like, in peak season yet. So I think my last week exercise time was, like, 16 hours of triathlon-specific training um, on top of everything else. So I... Um, there will be days I'll swim two and a half miles in the pool and then go run for an hour or bike for two hours after that. Um, I will have longer runs usually on the weekends in the summer. I'll have six hour bike rides. Um, it's it like, so it's just kind of hard to give you a really it, it varies from day to day but there's a lot of extra training um and and just time like it really takes I have a specific goal in my mind and my coach I have a coach for triathlon so even though I am a triathlon coach I have somebody coaching me um and I have shared with him my goals and I know what I want and I know kind of what it takes to get there and it's just one of those where it's a sacrifice too like I can't do 
all of my business stuff, do all of the social stuff I want to do, and also do all of this training. So, like, I have a give and take at some point. Sometimes I choose to not participate in some social things so that I can train as much as I want to. Um, And that's just, that's like, that's the sacrifice, but it's what I love. And it's also, um, like I have people around me who are supporting that goal. And so it works out really well, but it's definitely, it definitely requires, um, a pretty intense commitment. I should also say like, I don't want to scare any of your listeners away from doing a triathlon. Like I'm training at a, a pretty high and intense level because I have some pretty high and intense goals. Um, it's very possible to train for a triathlon with much less training, especially like a sprint or um, a shorter distance. But I'm training for a race that could potentially last anywhere from like nine and a half to 12 hours. And so there's a lot more training involved. Um, and so it's really just a, a combination of like, grit and determination and focus and I've also got a decent group of uh training buddies around who keep me company for long hours on a bike or on a run or in the pool whatever we happen to be doing um now with all of this training you have done an Ironman before correct yes I did my first one last year can you can you give me some of the feelings that you were feeling before the race a little bit during the race and what you felt after you crossed the finish line. Yeah. So, um, I literally, I literally looked at one, I did the race with two of my friends and training partners. And right before the race started, I literally looked at my one friend, Mind you, this was also a week after I got back from 18 days in China. So not exactly perfect timing for a race, but it was the one I had committed to. And I looked at one of my training buddies and one of them was like, yeah, I'm ready to go. And the other one's like, I'm really nervous. I looked at him and I was like, I might actually poop my wetsuit right now. I am so nervous. Like I was like, (laughs) oh my gosh, I, I was very nervous. Um, it was kind of a feeling of like, what if I figured I'd finish it? I had kind of a goal in my head. Um, and it, but it was just like, I mean, 12 hours from now, I could, I'm still going to be racing. And this is a really, it was a really hard course. Like I didn't pick an easy first race to do. Um, I did Ironman Lake Placid and um, it was just one of those, I was like, oh, wow, wow, this is going to be a long day. Here we go. Like, this is, I don't know, like, at some point, I just started telling myself, I'm like, you made it through 18 days in China. You've made it through all these other. Hello? Hello. I apologize. I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, you're talking, and then you disappeared. I don't know. I have no idea what happened. (laughs) I apologize. Um, Not a problem. The last I got was right before the race. Can you can you tell me oh, a little bit of what you were feeling during the race? I apologize. Yeah, no, that's fine. So during the race, um, it's just kind of all about like focusing and being mentally tough and um, 
you know, you get out of the swim and you still have kind of a lot of energy at that point in time because it's early in the race. And the best advice people told me, like, uh, for during the race was to not take it out too fast on the bike. And so I just tried to pace myself and, like, think of motivational things, change my thought process from, like, oh, wow, I've been on the bike for a long time to, like, no, like, you've got this, only this many more hours. You're like, you're doing great. You're right on your target. Um, and then when I got on the run, um, the whole reason I picked Ironman Lake Placid was because one of my clients had done it the year before or attempted it and didn't finish the race. And so she went on to do a different Ironman. Um, but she said, I need you to go back and I need you to conquer Lake Placid for me. And so it kind of gave me this greater purpose to finishing the race. And so as the marathon gets tough, as all marathons do, um, she was actually there, her and her husband came up and cheered me on. And I was able to kind of refocus and pull a purpose outside of myself. And I have, um, a phrase that I adopted that's uh, swift, strong, steady, smooth that I can chant over and over in my head when I start to lose focus while I'm running. And it kind of brought me back up to pace. Um, and then finishing the race, you finish in the Olympic circle at Lake Placid. And there's, I don't know that there's a better feeling or a cooler place to finish a race than in an Olympic circle. Um, and so you're literally running around the circle that all these Olympic athletes carried a torch in. There are people lined up for like the last mile and a half of the race and they, um, they are cheering you on. It doesn't matter. And your name is on your bib. So like people, I have no idea who they are. And they're like, you've got this, Amanda, like you're almost there. And the best advice somebody told me for finishing the race was you only get one Ironman, take it in and enjoy it. And I did, like I, I slowed down. I high-fived people. I wasn't winning anything. I wasn't trying to win anything. And I finished that finish line with like chills and tears in my eyes. It might've been pain and exhaustion, but at that moment it was like, wow, it really brought me back to, I was in a place at one point in time in my life where I could barely make it through six minutes of core work because of eating disorder and being unfueled and, uh, just malnourished. And I just did a 12 hour race, um, and a hard 12 hour race. And that is one of those things like people ask me like, well, why would you do it again? I'm like, because of the finish, like it's this huge rush of like, wow. And inspiration. And if you're there longer, um, I mean, I finished in 12 hours, but they allow you up to 17 hours to finish the race. And if you go back around that midnight hour where it's 17 hours later and you watch, those are the people who are coming in who, have had cancer or who are doing this because their brother died or, and like, that's the inspiration. Like, yeah, it's fine. Like I, I did well in the race, but like to hear the stories of people who have overcome struggles and are in a struggle and they're finishing this race too, uh, or it's their first one and they used to be out of shape and they started training for this because of their health and health reasons. Like that's inspiring. Um, and so that to me, like that makes it all worth it. Um, and of course then there's always like, well, what's the next challenge? So of course I'm going to do another one and try and be faster. Um, but it, if it weren't for that feeling at the finish line, uh, I don't know that I would do another one, but because of that amazing, uh, finish line experience, like I'm, I'm all in, like I'm, I'm totally ready for another one.
You're ready to go again. Now, is there... Um, is there a specific thought that goes through your head when you do it? Um, like when, when you finish your um, triathlon, thought, like I know you were saying there's a lot of feeling, but was there a specific thought like, oh, I'm done, or I can't believe I just did this, I'm going to puke, or, like, is, was, or was there just thousands of different thoughts coming in? No, there was just, like, thousands of different thoughts. Like, it was, I, um, I mean, at that point, you think of, like, racing for 12 hours. Uh, like, it's just, like, everything kind of feels surreal. And you kind of feel like that movie finish of, like, whoa, that just happened. That's done. Like, but it all comes in at one time. And it's just this immense feeling. Like, I don't even know that I can really put words to it. Um, my family was there. Uh, people I knew were there. And... I just like, I don't honestly, other than knowing that I had this like immense feeling of gratitude and being super proud, I don't remember much until I remember at some point somebody gave me a banana to eat and I must have eaten it because that's when I kind of came back to life. So I have video of me crossing the finish line and video of me talking after the race. And I honestly don't really recall much of that other than what I have through those videos because I was just exhausted um yeah until like I kind of came back to with some 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 carbohydrates needed for a brain function again um but I and I was and then like that night I was I don't know that I've ever been that sore in my entire life um I like I didn't want to sleep because the sheets touching me was like too <laughs> excruciatingly I was like oh my gosh I've never been this sore in my entire life it was it was rough um stair like it was easier to sit down on the stairs and just like slide down them than it was to actually walk downstairs um <laughs> it was really oh it was really bad um so yeah but like it's just like it's a feeling on like anything else like super I was super proud like I trained really hard for that race and accomplished so much not only physically but like mentally and emotionally and I think that all came uh, together at that moment into like one big flood of emotions um, and they were all good emotions um, I don't even know that I registered being super tired until like later but it was just like wow like whoa I'm an iron like you cross the line and they say they're like Amanda Mercer like you're an iron man and I was like whoa I'm an iron man like wow that's crazy um yeah and then like I was like where's my food okay <laughs> but um <laughs> it's uh yeah so it's just this like it's really an indescribable feeling until the best thing I can relate it to is like from what I've heard of people like think of something you've worked really really hard for and you finally achieved it like it but then just magnify it by like 10 because 10. it's an iron man maybe 100 I don't know like I <laughs> it's just like it's a feeling unlike any other feeling I've ever had before. So um, with all that, obviously, excruciating pain that comes with putting your body through such um, physical exhaustion, what recovery, how is your recovery? What does, it look, what does it look like? How does it feel? What do you have to do to then allow your body to replenish and rejuvenate? 
um, eat, fuel, and like really easy workouts. I don't think I did anything. I walked the next day. Like I made sure I got up and like moved my legs around, um, compression socks while I was up and about. Um, I'm pretty sure I talked my mom into giving me like a back rub. Uh, but, um, it really was like getting back into things slowly, um, and trying to, I actually probably didn't take exactly the proper amount of recovery and ended up suffering later in the year a little bit, but, um, it's really, it's refueling, resting, like sleep, your body recovers while you sleep. Um, and then just taking, like taking it easy. And I would listen, like if I went for a run and I just really didn't feel good or my heart rate was through the roof, I just slowed it down or I stopped and walked and that was okay. Um, so it's really like, I didn't do really much of any intense activity for probably like a week. And then I kind of started to build back in a few things, um, to practice for the next race, but that, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's all about the same things that you would do on a smaller scale for, to recover from like your everyday workout. You just, again, amplify it by like a hundred and that's, that's what you do. So, um, yeah, that was really, that was really my strategy. And I think this year I anticipate I'll be recovering a little bit more than I did last year. <laughs> um, so taking your experience, um, for- own training and doing your own triathlon how does that help you um be a coach to all these young athletes that you coach um I think like a half of them are a little scared of me I'm just kidding um (laughs) they're like whoa like we could never do that like we are running three miles and you ran 26 um but there's a little bit of like Uh, leading by example like and I think it's a lot easier like if I was an overweight coach who had never run before and I was going out and being like come on run miles like it's easy to do that um I don't think that means much but when you're like when you're in the arena with them and I was like you know I've done this like I'm exhausted too like my runs were tough too or like yeah I had to do this speed work too and it yeah it's rough and tough but you know it made me faster like it's a necessary part of like training. Um, I think when you can go from like that side of things and like, and having like the respect that comes with what I did, like they have a respect for me and they know, I know what I'm talking about. And they know that, um, I wouldn't ask them to do anything that I wouldn't do myself or that I couldn't potentially do myself. And I think that when they see that, um, and the stories that come with it, it makes coaching, um, much more valuable for them because there, there's more than just go do this. Like, it's actually like, Hey guys, I've tried this or like, yeah, this is what you should do. Or like, Oh, you had that problem. I had that problem too. So it gives them a sense of like story and community and relatability and a slight bit of like, Oh, if we run, if we don't run coach Mercer might find us and she'll make us run with her and we don't want to run with her. <laughs> like, so we'll just do our shorter run today and that'll be okay. Um, but overall, I mean, our kids are really good kids and they're also like, they're really involved with like, they'll cheer me on or they come to thrive fit and ask out, ask how they can help and stuff. And so the, it's just one of those, I feel like 
leading by example um, is a really good way in giving, especially like the younger girls, giving them a role model of like, you can be an athlete and still be strong. This is the healthy way to do it. Like you can be a rock star and a female athlete. And I think that's important for me too, to have that, that role model example for them. Yes, I 100% agree. I find that any, any coach or any instructor, um, I find as soon as you know that they have been there as well, that connection definitely, definitely helps. And it makes you a lot more comfortable with bringing things to that person because you know that they're not going to look at you like you got two heads going, what? <laughs> They've been there. They know it. And they can definitely help. So um, what – now, do any of your kids, like, they actually do triathlons themselves or they just do, like, country meets? What, what do you train them for? Um, well, I, I coach cross-country for the local high school, but I actually do have um, a group of triathletes uh, that are kids that I train at Thrive Fit. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, for any of my young listeners that might be feeling like they might want to try out a triathlete or a triathlon, um, what advice can you give them to get started and kind of help motivate them to, you know, move forward um, with that, that dream? Really just finding, uh, find someone who knows what they're doing. Um, to help you out and kind of get you set up with the right way to do things. Cause there's definitely, um, it's not just like going out and running a road race. Like there's definitely some strategy involved and there's some equipment you need for a triathlon. And so, um, I'm always happy to answer questions or be a resource for, uh, a, a young athlete or any athlete who's looking to get into the sport of triathlon. But, um, finding there's usually groups in your area that are willing to help kids or like local YMCA's that have like kids triathlons where you can swim in a pool and maybe join like a class um, that's geared towards triathlons. And so it's a great way looking for a community that's already there. Um, and that's where social media and the internet is a great thing is a great way to start getting involved and figuring out what you need and, and what it looks like and how you should be training. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, to Hello? 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 Okay, now I hear you. Um, so I would just like to... Uh, First off, say thank you for taking time to have a chat with me and allow me to pick your brain and learn a little bit more about you and your business. Um, To finish it off so that we don't go um, too long, I would like to know your perspective on positivity. Um, Ah, man. Uh, The short answer of my perspective on positivity is that you don't have the ability to change anybody else. You can only change yourself. And so if you want to go change your mind, change your mindset and get somewhere in life, it starts with a positive attitude. And it starts with a conscious daily choice 
to accept and cultivate positivity versus living in negativity. And if that means you have to set boundaries and get rid of the negative in your life and the negative influences, then that's what you need to do. Um, It really, I really, really feel strongly about the fact that like we can't change everything around us. We can only change our response to it and how we choose to live. And so I can't control anybody else and, but I can control my thoughts and my actions and that's how I'm going to choose to live. And for me, that's living in positivity um, and it with a positive mindset. And I think that that's a huge important part of overall fitness and health and wellness is that if you are positive, that directly relates to the, um, to how your body performs, to how you feel, to how your mindset is. And that um, positive thinking isn't always our go-to, but it needs, we can build that habit with a conscious choice. And it, it's a daily, it's another journey. It's a daily journey of choosing positivity, choosing joy over the negative and choosing to see the good versus the bad in struggles and in life and in other people. Wow. that That's an amazing perspective. I really enjoyed that. And I hope my listeners um, learn a little bit on how to uh, stay focused, to allow yourself to feel love for your own self, maybe a little bit on how to get a business started and uh, how to become a triathlete. Um, Thank you. Hello. 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 Can you hear me? You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Can you hear me?